0: So it's being filmed. I wear black. Black hides a multitude of sins. And part of my brand is to wear the hat. Now, you know, if I do that, it might get a bit shiny, but I will take it off, okay? Um, What I'm going to do today is um, do a presentation. Not the usual thing I do, because sometimes it's blue sky and, and, and how good the region is, and the region's good. But I'm going to do a more balancing act. Um, This came about because I've written a series of things over the years, particularly in recent times, about the challenges and what I call ground-truthing through something called the Matusik Missive. If you don't know what that is, I've got a business card on that corner there. Go to my website, it's free to join, and I write something each week. Um, And in this case, I wrote about the challenges facing south-east Queensland, and particularly in terms of its next growth phase, and whether or not the land and so forth that's needed to do that is really there. So today I'm going to talk about a range of things. I'm going to start with a helicopter, and I'm going to talk about the market and the cycle, and all the things you read about in the paper and see on TV and how we're all going to you know, have prices fall 30 40%. Poppycock, it's not going to happen unless we have a major economic collapse. And we wouldn't be parking our cars outside if we'd be doing that. We'd all be eating four servings of breakfast, okay? So I'm going to talk about that and where things are happening and aren't happening. I'm going to then step back and take a look at who lives in what and who buys what. So I'm going to talk about the house market, the townhouse market and the apartment market. Because a lot of people don't understand who buys that stock, who lives in it. I'm funneling them down into five trends. I like to number things. Five trends that are happening in the property market in the Moreton Bay area, and then five development trends that are happening in this area too. And then there is a mismatch, and a mismatch coming between what the market wants and how product's delivered here, and what's available. And there's constraints to that. Some of it's physical. Some of it is just the process. We get that right, this area is going to have the future as it has in the past. We don't, and then this area is likely to slow down and see growth take place elsewhere. Some might not like the growth as it's happened, traffic, so forth. But with that comes a lot of jobs. With that comes affordability. With that also comes um, um, employment. But we'll talk about those things. Happy with that? Now, we have to be... <coughs> I'm getting old, so occasionally I have this nasal drip. I know it sounds really bad. I'll just go like this a few times today, Okay, Apologize. We also have to get out of here by 8.30, so I'm going to try and keep this within an hour, maybe a little less, and some questions afterwards. I'll be over behind us outside for more questions, if need be, because bingo's important. And When the ladies come in here, we don't want to be in here, Okay, So we're going to... I'm not having a go. It's important to them. So we're going to be out of here by then. Happy with that? Okay. So Sydney and Melbourne are overcooked, Okay, They oversupplied themselves. They did. They built too much stock. And they had overseas buying that generated prices beyond the local market's capacity. That's largely what drove Sydney Sydney and Melbourne's house markets, up to a peak to 2016, and is now coming back. We didn't do that. We had a slow burn increase. The reason it didn't happen here is we didn't have particularly, this is not a xenophobic comment, this is what's happened. We didn't have people, particularly from China, not only, but particularly from outbidding each other at auction. We didn't have capital flight. We didn't have people trying to buy their future passport. Some of it legal, much of it illegal. We didn't have that here. And then in part of that, what happened in Sydney, Melbourne, and I witnessed it firsthand many times in 2014, 15, 16, when I was there doing presentations. Um, that there was FUMO, fear of missing out. So the local investors were paying a million dollars for things that really should have paid 600 or 650. They're going through a correction. Other places in Australia <coughs> aren't. Now, there is a cycle, and it does repeat, and there's usually what I call factor Xs that affect the cycle. This year's a year of two halves. We have a federal election. It will be close. We may see a change. And that's stopped a lot of things. We have um, APRA putting the, the, their foot on the neck too hard, and they're going to release that. I do believe that interest rates will fall, cash rate will fall, to keep things where they are. The second half of this year could be a lot better than the beginning of this year, even if there's a change of government. So there's always factors there. So some of the stuff I'm going to talk about next are long-term trends. I just don't want to focus on the, oh, the last six months have been very hard, Michael, and they've been worse than the previous six months. Yes, OK, that happens at the cycle. Well, we want to talk broad trends and and wider potential. Okay, happy with that. Now, one of the things that's facing South East Queensland is an increase in demand. That increases by population growth. Some of it's from interstate, some of it's from overseas, and some of it's just people having children. And we're all living a little longer. Well, many of us would like to live a little longer, and a lot of us are. Um, and one thing that's counterbalancing that is there is a real limit to supply. Yes, there's been oversized, oversupplies in Brisbane in terms of the apartment market. There was, there isn't now, because that market's contracted and stopped. The economics of delivering a townhouse project and especially an apartment project is very hard. In fact, they don't stack up a lot of times. Most of my day-to-day work is consulting work, advising on individual projects. Most of that work in the last year or two, and in fact, many of the jobs that we're quoting on at the moment is to fix apartment and townhouse projects. Some of them can't be fixed. They can't change the product, they can't change the price points, they have paid too much for the sites, and so forth. Some don't want to go back to council, in some councils that's understandable, and so they sit there, and that's dried up the market. Why it's dried up is the sales aren't there, the investors aren't there, and with negative gearing goes, that will affect particularly those apartment and some degree townhouse markets for some time. So that's a challenge for south-east Queensland, and it's a big challenge for this region. Is the land available in the right configurations, by the right ownerships, with the right infrastructure, with the right densities, with the right planning outcomes, to provide for the demand? Big question mark. The work I've done, and it's a lot of work, suggests that it isn't, and strongly suggests that it isn't. Let's just position where the markets are, because people like to do this. So the the market, the property cycle runs for about seven, eight years from peak to peak um, or trough to trough, okay? So it takes about seven or so years, seven, eight years to run that cycle. might move my little table. And in that phase of the seven years, there's a recovery, an upturn, a downturn and stagnation, okay, and that's a peak and a trough. The media like to call that a boom and a bust, Let's make this really easy because it's Wednesday, it's going to rain, yes, we need it to rain today, a bit slow, well I'm a bit slow. This is spring, this is summer, this is autumn and this is winter. Very easy. Warm, hot, cooling, cold. Not equidistant, we won't get into that, okay? Certain markets are certain places, so if I use the red pen to show where the detached house markets are, and I'm only going to make a couple of big ones this morning. Melbourne and Sydney are there. So they're going through a downturn and they're going to enter a stagnation. They may fall a little bit more in value, but don't believe that people are losing 15, 20% of value of their properties in Melbourne or Sydney, as often talked about, and oh, they could lose another 10, 15%. That's if they bought in the peak in 2016 and paid top dollar, they might see that go back 20 to 30% but most people, even people who bought in 2016, weren't foolish enough to pay those top dollars. And people who bought a decade ago or two decades ago, they've probably made two or three times their money on their property. So this is what the media does. Sydney and Melbourne are going through that correction. I think they're nearly there. And then they'll sit there. They'll wait a cycle, as has happened in Gladstone, the Gold Coast, and other places in the past. Brisbane's here. Why? For houses, because demand exceeds supply. Right now, yes, there's a new housing stock sitting around that may not be moving as fast as it once was, but I believe that post the election and into next year and the year after that, they will start to sell again and quite quickly. Moreton Bay is here in terms of housing market. Now, if I was to draw where the townhouse and unit markets are, in a blue pen, Sydney and Melbourne are in about the same spot, Inner Brisbane is here, as people want to know that, 5K radius from GPO. That's gone for its correction. It's going to sit there for quite a period of time. And also in Moreton Bay is around this area, so it's starting to go through a downturn. The reason being is the demand for that product, particularly apartments and to some degree townhouses, is nowhere near as strong as the demand for um, detached housing. And that's going to actually continue to be the case in the next five to 10 years, and we'll get to why. So unless we provide the right amount of stock to cater for the growth, what's going to happen is this area is going to suffer from a couple of things. It's going to suffer from jobs. Why? 12% of all jobs here are directly related to construction, that's one in eight, and one in four, 25%, are directly and indirectly because somebody builds something. So the local jobs here are largely that. Yes, a lot of people drive early in the morning, you know, down to Brisbane and so forth. Some do construction jobs there, but a lot of people are involved there. And that's just maybe a stat that I understand and clean up each time. So jobs are important. Housing affordability is important. Okay, so you need to afford the housing. And the other thing as a result of that is economic growth. So those couple of things, if we don't get it right, the growth will go elsewhere. And the land is more readily available, whilst only in a couple of providers on the Sunshine Coast, Logan, Ipswich, even the Gold Coast, not so much in Brisbane. And you could say, well, I'd rather live in Morton than I'd ru- live in Ipswich. Ooh, see, I nearly said yes, because it's, <laughs> I might have to go to Ipswich and deliver a presentation soon. That's up to the beholder. But they, people will move, particularly from interstate, where the opportunities are for work and where the price is right and where the jobs are. That's what happens. So these are challenges for us. Happy with that? Can I keep it going? Now, I've prepared one previously, as they say in the cooking shows, so I'll just turn this over. This is normally when it all stuffs up and I can't turn the damn thing over. Got this on camera? You ready? I don't use PowerPoint because I think most people go to sleep. I go to sleep, Um, so bear with me. (coughs) This is the next section, so it's part two of my, my talk today, is about who lives in what, who buys what, to understand that. And I'm going to build on this when we talk about the Morton region next. So if I was to say houses, townhouses and apartments, three simple products, so a detached product. These two are attached, but typical townhouse and typical apartment. If I was to say how many of those people are owner-occupiers who live in this product, 25% are actually owner-occupiers um, for houses. So 25, so 75%, sorry, 25% are investors. In townhouses, it's usually 50-50. So 50% owner-occupies and 50% are investors. So this is an investor, when I'm writing blue. And then in apartments, only 25% are owner-occupies and 75% are investors. So when the investment market slows down, for a range of reasons, interest rates rise, it's hard to get finance. they don't see there's growth, there's an oversupply, there's a myriad of things, that actually slows down, unless for apartment sales. Most buyers for houses are local, they come from the local area, often only a couple of suburbs removed, if not the same suburb. So 20% are from far away. Okay, far away. About 60% are locals in townhouses and 40% from far away. And for apartments, only 20% are locals and about 80% are actually from far away, often from interstate. Nothing wrong with interstate investment, but that's what happens. Now, the driver behind a lot of those investors are negative gearing, but it's only 20% for houses, generally. It's 50% for townhouses and it's 85% plus for apartments. So, one of the things that is likely to happen if negative gearing is removed from established properties is the apartment markets, when they come to resell, will take a kick in price downwards. And you will see more, I believe, builds, new builds, because negative gearing will be allowed for new builds, but you'll see it mainly in houses, some degree townhouses, and they'll be where you can have dual occupancies. That will That's increasing in demand, um, or dual-plus occupancies. That's what an investor will look for. And owner-occupiers want that as well, but that's a different event. Maybe in question time we can talk about that. Now on average, there's 3.5 people per house, 2.2 people per townhouse, and 1.4 persons in an apartment. The yield range, when I look at it properly, per hectare. okay. When I actually cut out the roads and, and the parks and do it over a series of developments over time, you'll find that's 15 to 20, 25 to 30 for townhouses, and 55 to 60 for apartments. Yes, there's examples where there's 100 apartments on a site like that, but there's examples when there's 25. So the average is that. When I combine those two, the density, the number of people per hectare is 55 to 70, 55 to 65, and 75 to 85. One of the first points I want to make is that in the planning sphere, and I'm a qualified town planner with first-class honours with a string of awards, so I can say some things about planning. Whilst I might not practise per se, I know about planning. Work a lot with planners. A lot of the conversation is about dwellings per hectare. Wrong conversation, in my opinion. It should be people per hectare. We're accommodating people. This result is very good. There's more people per house. There's less people per property, you get less. If the market's there for that, yes. But if the market's dominant, wanting this, the outcome's pretty good. The prices, just this is a typical range from this area for new property: four hundred fifty to five hundred, four hundred to four twenty-five, three seventy-five to four twenty-five. That's for new stock. There's property outside of those borders, but let's just for today get it on one board. Average size two twenty-five. 135, 100 square meters. A lot of people don't downsize. For argument's sake, from a house to an apartment. Why they I can't put their stuff in it? Who's going to get rid of their car? Who's going to get rid of that lounge? Hmm? Who's going to throw their golf clubs out? Well, at least put them somewhere where they trip over them every day. Those type of things are real life things. So there's a couple of observations here. One is to do with the density. <clears throat> Second is to do with the price. And the third is that this type of stock, particularly houses, some degree townhouses, cater for local demand. Happy with that? Shall we move forward? Let's talk about this region. Any debates? Anybody want to throw anything at me? You can't debate it yet, but you can throw something at me. (coughs) Okay. I need to switch this over. Well, no, I don't. I can clean it here. Bear with me. One good thing about the way I do these type of things is you get to see my best side, okay? My best feature, which is my back, okay? So that's funny. Come and laugh, don't fall asleep. Not all serious. I know it's morning and everything else, but come on. Now, if I took my shirt off, that would be really scary because I've got more hair on my back than my head, but you know, and it's grey as well. It's okay. The music usually starts normally when I finish, but um, you know. Is that, is that something in here or is that outside? Or? Yes. Okay. I'll talk louder. Is that better? Now let me talk about five things. I'll use this pencil. Five things that are happening in the real estate market here. I mean, if you're going to play music, play Springsteen or something, okay? At least we can understand the words. Okay. Let's talk about population growth. I've got to look at some notes, OK, because I've been guilty recently of doing a presentation on the Gold Coast, and we're using Sunshine Coast figures because they're in my head. So I've got to look at a little bit at some notes. At the moment, your area is growing by 11,000 new people per annum, OK? That does mean a lot of cars, but that also is opportunity in terms of people in the room doing supplying that market. Um, there's a need, therefore, to build 4,000 new dwellings per year based just on the number of people on average per house. One of the things that's forecast in the next 10 years, so this was the last 10 years, this is the next 10 years, that's expected to drop to about 9.6 thousand per um, annum, and that would be about 3.5 new homes that need to be built each year. The reason that's expected to drop, it's not only just the demographic makeup of the area, but the fact that the land supply is potentially not there to accommodate the growth. Most other areas in this location, so the surrounding shires of Brisbane and even the outlying suburbs of Brisbane, are expected to see a lift in their, in their population growth and dwelling demand, not a decline. Maybe you want a decline, maybe you want breathing space, but it's, it's, generally in business, that's not a good thing. First observation. The second is if we look at the demographics of the market, and I break them down. And here I like to do this by simple things. By people do things in groups. So first home buyers do things in groups. People who are upgrading, buying a bigger property, and so forth, have teenage children, in, you know, in their house, and they've got to get them over there, so they buy a bigger property, and so forth. They could just, you know, send them off to boarding school, but they don't. Um, then downsizers do certain things certain way, young renters, so forth. So the major growth markets in this area for the next 10 years, so 10 years plus, are first home buyers, upgraders, downsizers, and I'll put young renters here. Let's make sure I get the right figures. 25%, 30%, what is it? Yes, 20%. And I'll leave this one off for the minute. So of the growth from where it is today to what it's supposed to be in 10 years' time, the growth's largely going to be in first-home buys, people upgrading. Normally people who upgrade want to buy, sell the house that's on a smaller lot and buy a bigger lot, or a smaller house and a bigger house. And then downsizes. If they can provide the right stock um, and find the right stock at the right price point, and that has to be 20 30% less than their house, then they'll downsize into it. It's not only a townhouse, small lot and particularly um, housing works and young renters are only going to increase by 5%. So what normally drives the house market, the demand for detached houses, is these two markets. They're big markets. What drives apartments particularly or, or a lot of townhouse develop, um, um, markets are young renters or blue-collar workers. They're very small in growth. When I see that, and there's a lot of apartments, they normally don't work very well. That's coming here. This is the driver. There is a need for houses, and particularly detached houses. We'll get to the type of houses soon. Jobs. Let's make a little bit of room here. <coughs> Let's talk about jobs. There's expected to be 13,000 new jobs over the next, per annum over the next five years in this area? Per annum? Yes. That sounds great, fantastic. But that's 9% of SEQs total. This area at the moment is creating about 15% right now. Part of that is the dropping of growth. Part of that is to do with um, some of the demographics. But there's an expectation there. More development, more more housing being built, that would lift. And if you, I've done a lot of work to see when housing starts fall, job prospects, job growth falls about a year to two years later. And that's definitely the work that I've done here is a very clear pattern. When housing commencements fall. Um, not so much approvals, but actually houses being delivered that has an impact. So jobs are likely to do that. I just said before in the introduction, 12% are involved in construction and 24 to 25% are involved in construction, plus ancillary things, real estate, some solicitors' work, um, um, town planning, so on and so forth. So a quarter of the work up here is because somebody's building something and most of the things built are residential dwellings so that has an impact keep going <clears throat> one of the things that's happening here in real estate is that you're seeing house prices go up you're seeing attached prices fall so houses went up about 2% last year which isn't bad um, given that you know some places they're falling from the previous year this dropped about 6% and if I look at the rental market Houses went up on average for ten dollars per week, and attached product fell by five dollars a week. Right? That would normally tell me that this market's in demand and the supply's constrained, and this market's demand is less than its supply. Simple as that. The last thing I want to mention is the is the I'll change it off, is the um, <coughs> land market before we get into some development trends. So we look at the land market. What's happened here, which is somewhat common across south-east Queensland, is we've seen the size of the blocks fall from about 650 square metres to 410 square metres. This was 10 years ago, this is now metres squared. And we've seen the price rise from $390 per square metre for a block of land to about $640 per square metre. So we've seen that happen. That is not only just a reflection of development greed. Some people say, oh, that's because they're really greedy and they want to make small lots and charge per square metre. That's to do with demand. But it's also this price growth is also to do with limitations in, in supply, particularly in where their next projects are going to be. Not the balance of their existing estates, but where they can find land and the cost to produce that and so forth. They have to wait several years between holdings and development. They're running businesses. They actually charge what they can for the the blocks of land. One of the things that's... um, And if you looked at the average size of blocks, 350 to 600 square metres, makes up about 70% of dwelling new lot registrations in this area for the last three years on average. Now, (coughs) one of the things... That Morton Bay isn't is relatively competitive to other areas. I think it needs to be with more supply. This needs this would be lower. Some of the developers in the room don't like me to say that, but from the market buying they would because on the Sunshine Coast the average price per square metre is $650 per square metre. Morton Bay, as we've said, is $640. Logan is. 5.30, Ipswich is 4.50, and you could argue that they're low because they're in Ipswich and Logan, but the market again is looking for affordability and solutions, and the Gold case is even 6.55. So one of the challenges that some people tell me when they're actually looking at buying property, particularly first home buyers, say, Well, they use the word it's not cheap. You don't want to be cheap, but you want to offer value for money. So it's one of the challenges as well is that in growth markets, you're not top of the pops. Maybe you shouldn't be, but that's an issue I think moving forward. Let me talk about development trends now that are taking place. Now, this took a lot of forensic work. What I've just talked about is generally available if you know where you're going. (coughs) It's publicly available. Produced, It's not necessarily in the same form that I've delivered, but you can find that out. For this t- section of this talk, I've actually gone into some pretty deep analysis. I've read previous studies. I've searched a lot of <coughs> excuse me, applications and so forth, and um, some of these trends were surprising when I actually did this work. So I'm going to call this, in, this what I call real action. So what's really happening, part one? 75% of the applications into Morton Bay City Council are for small developments. So the activity that the council sees are small projects, usually under 10, sometimes under 20 dwellings in one development. So they see a lot of that activity. But the reality is that 80% of the dwellings are actually provided in major projects. So that's a big thing. So out of the, over the last three years of the 10,000... Um, out of the 12,500 dwellings that have actually been uh, put an application in the council, 10,000 of those, and in terms of delivery of allotment registrations um, and action, 70% have been in big projects. So big subdivision, master plan communities and the like. So the facts of the matter is that the big things deliver most of the housing in this area and so forth. You could argue that's going to change. I'm going to argue that I don't think it is. The market will go somewhere else because the development opportunities will be there. The second reality is that 70 plus percent of all the things that are registered are actually taking place. That's different from an approval. Because if you get an approval, you know about my experience of 50, 60 percent don't happen in any time soon, particularly if it's apartments or townhouses. But if you look at the things that are actually being commenced and built, 70% of them plus are detached homes. So, a lot of activity in the small end of the market, but it doesn't add up much to much growth, much dwellings. it actually only 20%. And the major supply of dwellings and new housing is in major projects. I review then the potential sites in the area, and that's everything that, that the current plan in the council says is right open for development. So it's not just major parcels, it's everything in that area. It finds that 45 per cent, so this is number f- three, issue four, is that 45 per cent of that land is suited to attached and only 55% are detached. Maybe that's not poles apart from this, but it is different. You could say over a period of time, people will live in more detached homes. Not if those demographics are the shapes that are forecast that I believe are happening. And when you ground truth, you can see it. First home buyers, upgraders, major drivers of markets. There's some downsizing and so forth, but There's not enough to drive that supply. This is out of balance. Number four, get these figures right. Sorry, pardon me. it's early for me. 45% and 55%, just so we keep these on the board, that's detached, that's attached. And then if I look at the unlikely projects Let me explain this for a second. What I do when I analyse supply, and a lot of people don't do this, they just say, oh, there's there's X number of dwellings approved. You know, it's often said there's there's 5,000 dwellings approved in, say, Moreton Bay area, and there's a lot of supply. Well, I review all of those supply, and I look at ones that are likely to happen i.e., well, are going to happen, they're under construction, likely to happen, um, they've got a DA and they're, they're making moves to do something, they've got a development application, that's possible, um, there's, they're under design concept, that's possible, and then there's a range of things that actually stop projects, and this is the unlikely project lump. Um, they're going to appeal, there's sites for sale, they say the project's abandoned, they haven't paid any of their consultants, in other words, they haven't got any money, um, because developers, my experience, largely pay their bills, unless when they can't. Um, and um, <coughs> Or it's, or it's a, uh, I think I said abandoned. There's a range of things. So when I've reviewed the last three years of all applications for new development in this area, including them right down to block splits to major developments, I found that only 3% of the detached house market, in terms of dwellings, this is in terms of dwellings, not applications, but total dwellings, are detached. And I think it's 27% are attached, so townhouses and units. So a quarter of the things that are infilled, downtown, small blocks, next to railway stations, blah, 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 or next to townhouse developments near parks and so forth, a quarter of those are now unlikely to proceed, as my count was about a month ago. But only 3% of the, of the detached house. Uh, supply is constrained. And the last point here before we do a bit of wrap up, and take some questions, is that when we look at the small projects versus big projects, make sure I get the right figures, the large projects, only 7% of the stock is stopped or unlikely to proceed, and this is 35%. So a third of the small projects are unlikely to proceed. So here we've got a market that most of the supply is in big things. Master plan communities, major subdivisions and the like. Where is the land to provide that moving forward? Most of the market wants and has been delivered detached housing and that is still in demand and I believe will probably, in contrast to, say, Brisbane City Council, where it has a different demographic shape, will increase in demand in the future. Things are stalling already because of economics of development. Most of those are in the detached market and they're actually in smaller projects. So let me wrap up and we'll take some questions. So one of the things that is... I'll just... I'll drop this off. One of the things that's happening in this market, you're not alone here in this region, but the other areas have uh, an advantage in that they have supply in in larger arrangements than than is currently available here. And And the mindset, unfortunately, is at odds with the demographics and the delivery of actual projects. And that is small infill, multiple little projects, Um, apartments, townhouses, and and, and even then when it comes to detached housing space, higher yields than actually the market will bear and the developer can actually supply in terms of making money. There's a site price involved in that as well, where reality is that the market's delivery is large projects, it's very price sensitive, it needs to have certain things in place. Then if I take a deeper look where the land is available in this area, A lot of it is in fragmented ownership. So it's in, like the tables here. And that table wants to sell, and that person wants to sell, and that person wants to sell. And Trask at the back wants to buy them. But they really need those four tables at the back to make that economically work. But that table there, which is a smart table, because it's got the councillors on it and so forth, they actually ask for $5 million rather than the million dollars that they want. And that's a vital piece of land, because that's where the trunk main sewer is going to go. OK? That project now doesn't start, until they can actually be realistic or they can buy the rest of the tables. And if that trunk sewer isn't combined with the other developments in the area, who's going to go first? Then it becomes a waiting game, so no development takes place. Then on top of that, there's an overlay from planning. I'm not having a go at planning. This is what happens, though. There's an overlay of planning, and I like to keep wild things, and I live in the bush, and I live a place in Tasmania, and I like all those things, um, but it's not only just wildlife. It's a range of other things that are very constri- are very restrictive to development. I'm not saying you develop everything to the maximum, but that's, it. that's what happens. And then there's a yield expectation. Well, we'd like to see 100 dwellings in that area, so that's 40, 50 per hectare. That's not going to work, guys. The market won't bear that. They won't pay the price for that. They want this lot size and so forth. Um, and then, of course, there is a the process that is often missing when developers, particularly from overseas or interstate, employ me and they look in places in South East Queensland. They're a little perplexed at the, the, ta- the process of getting an application. You know, they, they don't mind being told no or they have to do things but they like to be told that early and, and, and clear without the rules changing and so forth. So there's some challenges facing the market supply here. It's mainly because of where the land is, its lack of coordinated infrastructure and its, um, it's, and it's price that might be associated with it. But not they, So they're physical things, but there's also an overlay of, of planning and regulation that needs some thinking. You don't have to do it. I don't care, to be honest. But if you don't do it, I know... Well, I don't know anything, but I suspect... In fact, I will tell myself in the mirror, this will happen, is that you'll have less development, your jobs won't be... growth won't be as strong, and people will start to go where those development opportunities are, where those jobs are, and where housing is a result of the supply... Because all real estate is is demand and supply, where that supply... Meets that demand, and that the prices stay reasonable for those people to purchase. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for not walking out. If you've got any questions. Michael, have you done any study on what actual land supply is available in one panel? Yes, I have. And the land supply. And what do you mean by that? Um,
1: Well, there's a. There's a. um, attitude in Council at the moment that uh, they have sufficient land supply in their um, prior infrastructure area to um, cater for the next 15 years. And there's a few trains of thought as to uh, whether they have or not. Um, their their own figures suggest that they don't. Um, and I'm just interested to know Okay.
0: So part of this part of this work in part of when I got invi- invited by uh, Rob and Peter to, to do this was I reviewed what's available the way I normally do it. So I count things. So I, there's a range of databases: some state government goals, some personal, some by BCI and so forth. So I interrogated that. I also did read um, and studied studies that have been commissioned by the council. Um, I read all of this, which, which was a bit of a struggle, um, and I found in my That's the
1: 2016
0: March 2000. And... 17 final by somebody. I don't, I'm not going to mention the names. I, I don't know them. Um, I don't know if they did a good job or not. I'm at odds with some of the things found there, simply because of the things I talked about. It's very difficult to supply big developments when you've got amalgamate land where the infrastructure is not there, where the yields are expected to be high. That's hard to do. That's all I'm, that's how I'm, so I have counted, looked at the land supply. I look how the market operates. I look how you guys operate. Okay? I'm not doing it just for major developers. I'm doing it as the market works. Um, and if I was to review projects, and I've done many reviews in this area for, for developers and the like, I'm always trying to cut their yields back. I'm tr- what I do in my business day-to-day is reduce sales risk. That's what I do. So when I review a project, I say, your sales risk is too high. You've got to get 20% market share. You won't get that. Um, I can't understand why somebody would buy that product at that price point in that location where I could buy this competitive set. Can we change it to suit the market so it makes economic sense from an owner-occupier and an investor to purchase? And when I do those type of things, some things work very well here and other things don't. It's often those infill things that I just shake my head and say, I don't understand why somebody would buy a townhouse or an apartment or that small villa lot in that location with no amenity. Because one of the things that has to happen if you're going to achieve development in the current development areas and the current restrictions on those in terms of land supply ownership, um, yield expectations, infrastructure costs and so forth, is that to deliver that, the amenity in those locations aren't high enough for people to actually live in a denser space, because all density must be offset. Um, so an apartment can work if you can see the river in the CBD or an ocean, or you've got a park, big park in front of you, or next to a university. It doesn't; look, they don't really work in and Gabba because there's nothing there—roads. And in this case, a townhouse has to be offset in the right um, um, amenity. Um, more so an apartment. If you live in a 450 to 600 square metre lot, which is the normal size type lot these days, you can live down the road. You don't have to be right next to the park. So I see all those challenges. So Yes, I have reviewed it. This part of that conversation is that that, I believe, will not deliver the amount of housing needed at the right price points in coming years as it has done in the last five to 10, 15 years.
1: Any other questions? Raise your hand. Okay. Just hold it, Dave. Oh, I'll go again. Um, what are your thoughts on a local authority counting uh, land areas that are available for development that are public utilities such as um, school grounds, hospitals, TAFEs, old retirement villages? Uh, Because one of the things that's um, plainly apparent in the Moreton Bay region at the moment with their town planning instruments, the way that they sit, is that in their land supply assessment, they include those large paddocks as major land supply um, for the coming 15 years. Okay. I think that... My first comment is, I actually think that that's a good thing,
0: but I think there should be two counts. There should be that which is likely to be supplied in the normal rate of conduct conduct of business, and those things you've described are usually hard to wrestle out of those authorities. They have leases, they have uses. Um, And if they have uses, they're going to be shared uses. Um, So I would be separating those out to say, okay, in a perfect world, we don't live in a perfect world, but in a perfect world, this land's available and we could possibly use it, but in reality it's this supply, private ownership, right sizes, Uh, flow of land and and, and, uh, topography of land where water supply and sewage is reasonably affordable and can be done in a piecemeal process, I'd be putting that in certain categories. So I'd be putting them in lumps, like I do when I assess supply. And once you've got a figure of X, you might find out when you do that that the real supply for the next three, five, ten years, however you want to do it, is a lot less than you think. Um, The reason I think it's good is because we are going to enter a space somewhere in Australia, somewhere in coming soon, where we're going to have to maximise what we've got. So the use of schools, even not getting rid of the school, but the dual use of the school, the use of shopping centres above, you know, above the strip shopping centre, because they don't largely work, how do they used? All those type of things are important, but I don't think you can count it as readily available supply. I'd be breaking them up.
1: Next question. Oh, come on, somebody
0: else. <laughs> somebody <laughs> in this side of the room.
1: Oh, uh, one last question. How would you suggest to our councillors in the room that they fix this?
0: Okay, what I would do is I would have... With all due respect, who do this work. I noticed that it wasn't a local firm, which, which, which might, be, might be it's just a normal tender process. I have no idea. Um, but I would be getting somebody who's, who's... I want to get a range of people who are impartial to count... This again um, and then to do some form of open process with the development community about what works and doesn't work, they don't have to take it all on board because you've got vested interest and they're looking after inverted commas um, the public but there must be a meeting of minds and I would count that again by a process of a couple of local firms I could be one of them, I don't have to be um, who says, who works in this region, um, and then I would have some conversations with the development community, either focus groups or a series of one-on-one interviews to actually one and share that as part of a, a draft, a working draft that we're trying to work towards to resolve this. I don't think it needs to be, and I suspect it is for, let's say, history reason, because I understand things are progressing towards the better end than, than regressing, that there is, seems to be this, this, this bullet-a-gate type or butting of head, sorry, type approach between the developed community and local authority. That is happening in other places in, in Queensland, South East Queensland, in Australia. <coughs> in some areas um, where I've been engaged and a few others have been engaged to provide this type of service, but more detailed, they're starting to say, we understand that we need development. Um, some of those are those competitors that I've mentioned, I've worked for several of them, um, Logan City, Ipswich, Sunshine Coast, Lockyer Valley. They're quite keen to see things happen and court, not court the industry, that's wrong, talk to the industry to say, we think this is available, what do you think? And then some form of meeting of, of, of that process. Um, That's my answer to that question, okay? Don't ask me another one, okay? You can pay me to ask me the next one. (laughs) My turn, Michael.
1: Michael, what do you see as the future for, say, three-quarter acre developments in the town? Over the years, obviously, we've had two, five acres prolific around the town, and as the spread of this area, um, coming from Sydney many years ago, uh, Campbelltown used to be chicken farms and everything, and now there's houses everywhere, obviously. The demographics that we have here, uh, we're still selling a lot of uh, three-quarter acre acreage properties, as you say, for lifestyle. How long do you think it'll be before our demographic area is going out to, say, Wemur and Woodford, where there's still a a lot of area there for development?
0: Okay. (coughs) I grew up in Sydney, the west of Sydney, so when I grew up in Winston Hills, country practice. Who remembers country practice? Oh, come on, put up your hand up, you sky. Some of you are too young to remember country practice. Come on. That used to be filmed across the the road. Um, So there used to be lights, and now it's middle ring. Um, In fact, my parents' block that they bought was a quarter-acre block. It's got now units on it. Um, So I suspect what's going to happen is that those development areas, or those areas with that type of housing... (coughs) Not all of it will be developed, and some people won't want to sell it, but in pockets it will start to get development pressure. But that will only happen when it's economic to do so. That's a key thing. So if you're selling it for the price you want, $5 million in your case, um, the price that you want for the land, um, it has to be economic for the developer to do that and then for the sewerage and so forth. So I think that probably is some way off, but I think that pressure will grow. Um, but it's, when that happens, it's only going to cater for this much of the demand. because it's piecemeal. It's, it's, it's higgledy-piggledy. It's, 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 the yields can't be... If you do your, your thing, you might be able to get X amount of product, say five things on there. OK, that makes sense. If you do 20 together or 30 together, if you could amalgamate it, you could do seven or eight or 10 per, per area or maybe seven or eight because of the way the roads work, but if you do it yourself. So until there's... A big movement to that, it gets kind of stalled. But it only will cater for this demand. The demand here, as usually happens in an area like this, that 20 to 40 k radius from the GPO um, areas that is that take this the right way have yet to have the economies of scale. You're getting there, but you don't want you hit half a million people and you've got x amount of tourists. You start feeding on yourself and you start pushing yourself in those areas doesn't matter where I am in Australia or New Zealand or some of the work I've done in the States, you find that it's actually the major developments that drive most of the housing demand. Now, major just is 50-plus lots. It doesn't have to all be North Lakes, but they have to be pretty serious things to drive that. They have to go for a cycle. They have to have several stages. They have to have several builders involved. They have to have choice in that product. So it's coming, and maybe not soon enough for yourself, but, but it's coming. Morning, Michael. I oh, think you. <coughs> You've mentioned that APRA has put significant pressure on the banks.
1: My question is, how long do you think uh, it will be before the banks start relaxing their lending criteria and to what extent?
0: OK. All of this is my opinion, not advice, OK? So I think that in the latter part of this year, um, the Reserve Bank... Will 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 be? I believe there's a Chinese war between the Reserve Bank and the government. There always is. So you know, um, pst, we've got an election coming up. It's so obvious. Um, let's not. Let's just try and get through it. Um, <clears throat> but regardless of what who's in power, the latter part of this year, it'll become obvious that the employment figures in Australia are a crock. That you know, the ABS figures don't really mean what they do. is 10%. Un- underemployment's close to 10%, if measured correctly. You can't work one hour a week per week over the last three months. That's how they've changed things. They changed things like a, couple, a year and a half ago. Um, so we come back from holidays in 2017, and <gasps> 100,000 jobs were created in, in, in Australia over that period. Isn't it great? No, they just changed the way it's measured. So you go to the shopping centre and just have a look how many people are there at 10 or 11 o'clock who aren't pushing a tram or don't look like they work in some mine. There's a lot. Um, I do that for work. I sometimes do that when I look at new developments and say, who's in the area? And so I add to that number, no doubt. But, um, and many of us are underemployed. So when well, they'll realise that, they'll realise the GDP figures aren't great. The Reserve Bank, I think, will drop interest rates. And in that process, in that cover, APRA will go like this. And I think the Westpac's of that are already starting to say that they've over, over, overdone it. Um, I'm not saying that that the previous... I think the previous um, process was too lax. I do think that, you know, borrowing 10, 12 times income and, and, you know, I run a small business. My wife runs a small business. You know, we've got a line of credit that, you know, we really shouldn't have got, but we got it because we just went to a loan broker and said, I'll get that, no problems at all. I really? Okay, done. My wife wanted to give it back recently because we're not using it. And I said, there's no way we're giving that line of credit back because we won't get that again. So I think that it was a little loose, but now it's gone, it's overreacted. So I do think latter half of this year, under under a... The economy is not as strong as we thought. Um, It may be overseas things, you know, whether it's the US economy slipping, it may be, you know, the resignation of Trump. That's, well, now I'm talking conspiracies. I think he'll resign before he finds himself in jail when he's not the president and he'll do a deal. Um, that's my two worth. Um, again, opinion, not, not, not advice. Um, so the latter part of this year, I think I'll lift the... Um, thing. It won't be like got back to what it was. Um, but I think it will become a little easier, and particularly for... Um, I also believe that the First Home Buyers Grant will, will, through the negative gearing thing, I think that will be extended or changed... And even maybe have a federal component. I'm hearing whispers that that want to smooth the way a little bit. And that and if there was one thing that inflated demand and therefore price very quickly was the introduction of the grant.